This is the Hook Set Podcast. If you're looking to make the most of your time on the water, then you've come to the right place. This is a weekly podcast where Andrew and a guest do a deep dive into Ontario's bass fishing scene and discuss presentations, techniques, bass behavior, and how to find them on local Ontario waters. You'll get a front row seat to Ontario's bass anglers mindset. And now, here's your host of the Hook Set Podcast, Andrew Mogan. Hey, thanks for tuning in, everyone. I'm Andrew, and this is the Hook Set Podcast. Today, we have no one. It's just going to be me. And this is going to be a new segment we're going to be doing every so often called The Science Behind. And this is where we're going to be doing a deep dig into the actual science involved with bass fishing and how it applies to our local waters here in Ontario. On today's episode, I'm going to be going over how I break down lakes and my thought process behind it based on the lake's ecosystem as a whole. Now, I am not a professional bass angler. I don't have a long list of credentials. I don't have a science degree. I'm just an average guy who's trying to do what we're all trying to do out there, find and catch more bass. Now, that being said, I'm very inquisitive. Like if I stumble onto a spot on any given lake and it's super productive, I have to know why. Like, why were they there? What brought them there? What's keeping them there? Like, I I have no problem pulling up into or over top of a spot and completely blowing it to hell just to figure out why. Like, I can't help myself. So being this way, I obviously, I do a lot of research, watch a lot of YouTube videos, and listening to a lot of bass fishing podcasts whenever I can. And in doing so, I started to realize that the overwhelming majority of how to find and catch bass media out there is really geared towards southern reservoirs and not totally applicable up here in our northern natural lakes. So realizing this, I started reading and reading and reading, and I slowly started to gain a better understanding of not only the biology of bass, but also their ecosystem as a whole. And over the course of last winter, 2021-22, while I was completely burying myself in articles and studies, I started to realize that I've been wasting a lot of time and energy running around lakes trying to find bass when I shouldn't be actually trying to find the bass. I should be trying to find their food. So regardless of the water body, time of year, species, largemouth, smallmouth, pike musky, bluegill, perch, like they all have evolved and have been programmed to do only two things, reproduce and feed like that. That's it. Like bass don't go to the movies. Bass don't go on vacation. It's essentially comes down to survival of the species. That's it. There's nothing else. So what does this actually mean? Well, it means that excluding the spawn bass are only ever going to be where their food is. So this is what I mean by my previous statement of I shouldn't be trying to find bass. Instead, I should be trying to locate the highest concentration of the food source within any given water body, and that'll give me a higher probability of achieving what I'm trying to do out there, catch more bass. Now, in our lakes, there are numerous species of forage that the bass feed on throughout the year, And these different species can be found literally all over the lake. So it seems like this would be an even more daunting task 
just trying to find their food. But it's really not once you start to understand how the entire ecosystem breaks down. So once we break down the ecosystem from a scientific perspective, we immediately start to eliminate vast amounts of water and we can start focusing on a much smaller percentage of water. And with this smaller percentage of water, it's relatively easy to establish what the primary food source is. And then we can use this information to base our presentations off of to give us the highest probability of success. From a scientific perspective, we're going to go over the water bodies, different zones within these water bodies, and how the bass's forage utilize these zones. And since this is a hook set podcast, we're not going to be going over how Lake Fork breaks down. We're staying focused on what's applicable here in Ontario on our local waters. Now, there's something called the Trophic State Index. And this is a classification system designed to rate water bodies based on the amount of biological productivity they sustain. So there is oligotrophic, mesotrophic, eutrophic, and hypereutrophic. And these are four classifications we're going to be going over. First one is oligotrophic, and this is defined as steep shoreline and bottom gradient, low nutrient enrichment, low planktonic growth, few aquatic plants, sand and rock along most of the shoreline. So some examples would be Lake Muskoka and Lake Bays. Second is called mesotrophic. So these lakes have moderate nutrient enrichment, moderate planktonic growth, some sediment accumulation over most of the bottom of the lake, and some aquatic vegetation. So Six Mile, G Pool, good examples there. Third is eutrophic. So cooch, balsam, great examples, high nutrient enrichment, high planktonic growth and productivity, extensive aquatic plant beds, mid to high levels of sediment accumulation. And lastly is hypereutrophic, so Scugog, Mitchell, prime examples, any lake that's really choked out. And um, as the name suggests, super extensive aquatic plant beds, high amounts of sediment. Now, these lake classifications are not hardline statements. Simcoe, for example, could be classified as a mix between mesotrophic and eutrophic, depending which section of the lake we're talking about. The trophic state index is something important to understand because used in conjunction for our next couple topics, it's going to be a deciding factor on where the largemouth and smallmouth are going to be on any given body of water. So we've gone through oligotrophic, mesotrophic, eutrophic, hypereutrophic. Now let's get into breaking down the actual areas within a lake. And there are three that we're going to be concerned with when it comes to our fishing. And that is the littoral zone, the euphotic zone, and the pelagic zone. So the littoral zone is the shore area of a lake, and it consists of the area of dry land that slopes into open water, and this can be very narrow or very wide. So typically, oligotrophic bodies of water have narrow littoral zones due to their steep sides, while eutrophic bodies of water have wider littoral zones because of their gentle sloping sides. Second is the euphotic zone, and this is the zone of the upper portion near the surface of the water. This is the portion that receives sunlight and the zone ends where the sunlight fails to penetrate the water any further. So this is super important. 
The euphotic zone is where algae and other aquatic plants thrive in addition to the littoral zone. Typically, this area has a dense fish population because oxygen levels are higher than any other zone in the lake. And lastly is the pelagic zone. This is the region of a body of water that is not associated with the bottom or the shoreline. So essentially, it's just open water. So the question is here is, how do we apply lake classifications and zones to fishing? We're going to use them to break down the lake, eliminate water, so we can focus on the most nutrient-dense zones. So let's use some imagination here and let's launch out on a lake and take a drive around. Okay, so I've determined that most of the shoreline is rock with some pretty steep banks and sections, but the lake as a whole isn't overly deep, about 25 feet. There's a small section, about 4% of the lake, that has a flat that's about 2 to 5 feet deep. And it has vegetation all throughout it, but it's fairly sparse. And I can see some aquatic plant growth around the shoreline in sections as well. The way this lake is laid out is somewhere between oligotrophic and mesotrophic, which is telling me it's going to have somewhat narrow euphotic zones and an even narrower littoral zone. With a quick idle over some sections closer to the shoreline, as well as some humps offshore, I've established a euphotic zone extends to about a depth of 10 feet. And from there, I adjust the depth shading on my graph, and I've just taken 100% of the lake down to about 12%. And this 12% is going to be the most nutrient-rich and will sustain the highest amount of aquatic life in the entire water body, which will give me the highest probability of success. Now, breaking down a lake this way is not the only piece of the puzzle. I still need to determine which forage the bass are feeding on and how that forage relates in the euphotic zone. Our bass here in Ontario feed on a big species of fish that can be broken down into four categories. Insects, crustaceans, pelagic fish, and non-pelagic fish. So crayfish and insects are fairly straightforward. They're going to be found throughout the littoral and euphotic zones. And they're really only ever going to be where the sunlight can penetrate. So we're going to focus on pelagic and non-pelagic fish. So going back to the zones of a lake, there is the pelagic zone. And as the name suggests... There are species of fish that inhabit this zone of open water, and they are termed pelagic fish. So emerald shiners, rainbow smelt, creek chubs are all examples of local pelagic fish. And they are schooling fish that utilize open water as a defense mechanism. Now, finding any species of fish in open water can be challenging, but we know that those bait fish still need a nutrient-rich environment to succeed in their two main drivers reproduce and eat so they still need to move into the euphotic zones to feed which after breaking down a lake we know where those are and we've all witnessed bass busting the surface out offshore and what's happening there is the bass are chasing pelagic fish from mid-water column and pinning them against the water's surface to be able to feed and another good example of pelagic bait fish is bait balls on our sonar. We, we've all seen the YouTube videos, find the bait balls, find the bait balls, you find the bass. We, we, we've all seen it. 
non-pelagic examples are perch, gobies, white sucker, crappy sunfish. Now, there are about eight subspecies in the sunfish family that are found locally in our lakes. So bluegill, dollar sunfish, pumpkin seeds, for example. And they're all going to exhibit slightly different behavioral patterns, but they all inhabit the euphotic zones similarly. So I'm just going to refer to them as bluegill. So how does this all come together? How do we put it all together here? We've established the most nutrient-rich sections of the lake, and this will dictate where we're going to fish. And if we establish the bass's primary food source, given that time of year, we can dictate how we're going to fish with our various presentations and techniques to give us the best probability of success. So for example, I did an event last season at Lake Bays towards the end of the season. And I went up for practice the day prior to the event. It was my first time on that lake. And so before I went up, I did a quick Google search on the fish species that in that lake that informed me of two key pieces of information. One is it's a predominant smallmouth lake. And number two is it has a very healthy population of rainbow smelt. So since northern smallmouth have a reputation of feeding on pelagic bait fish, especially during the fall, I felt the rainbow smelt were probably going to be the main forage and basing my presentations on smelt would be a good bet. So like two to three inch paddle tail swim baits, uh, jerk bait, topwater spook, drop shot if they're going to be super picky would be a good one as well. And another quick Google search of rainbow smelt seasonal movements and patterns determine the smelt prefer colder water. And as fall approaches, smelt move into smaller, shallower estuaries off the main lake. So putting all this information together, it revealed a handful of areas in the entire water body that checked off every box I was looking for. Smaller estuaries off the main lake, which a smelt population would be moving to. And there are only two that had wider or larger euphotic zones, which the smelt are only going to be moving into nutrient-rich areas. So I knew on paper this would give me the highest percentage of success. And lo and behold, going off this information, we actually took second place in that event. So let's use Cooch as an example of a eutrophic lake and non-pelagic bait fish as a food source. Now, since Cooch has a wide, a very wide, very large euphotic zone, because um, the sunlight penetrates about up to 18 feet on any given year, it takes a little bit more time to establish exactly what depth in the euphotic zone that the either perch, bluegill, sunfish, whatever the bass are actually feeding on are going to be located at. And how I do this is... Take a seat and graph. And essentially what I'm doing is I'm just tracing the outside edges off of deeper flats. And there's actually a really good video that I took on my Facebook page there. I'll actually upload it onto the hook set Facebook page. But uh, it's a video of last summer where I was doing exactly that. I was searching around and in the video you can see on my, two, on my 2D and my uh, down imaging, I started calling it buffet time because there was a school which turned out to be sunfish, a school of sunfish down there, and about uh, 15 feet off behind them in a little deeper depth 
was actually um, largemouth bass, a school of largemouth bass that was hanging there. So I ended up getting quite a few of them, but it, it's very, very good example of what what at least I look for on eutrophic lakes with these larger these larger euphotic zones. So I have never heard anybody talking about breaking down water based on the euphotic zones or breaking down lakes based on the classification that they are. I've never heard anyone talking about this. So it's a good question is does breaking down a lake like this actually work? Will it actually increase my success or probability of getting what I want out there? And honestly, I can't say with certainty. It's like anything else with bass fishing. Like nothing is 100%, 100% of the time. But what I can say with certainty is I started last season, the beginning of last season, I started breaking down lakes like this and I had the absolute best season I ever had. Like, and it's not just from a competitive standpoint, it's even getting out there just on fun days off, getting out for an afternoon with the wife and dog. Like I felt absolutely dialed in all season. And there was three events that I did this past year where I didn't break down the lake like this prior. And I went off of history. And in those events, I was at the bottom of the pack. They were horrible days. So personally, I think I'm on to something here because from my experience, I can get dialed in doing this and not waste a whole lot of time out there. Now, obviously there are so many other factors to consider like barometric pressure, sunlight, current time of day, prevailing winds, temperature, type of aquatic growth, type of cover and structure, substrate composition, how the entire food chain reacts to all of it. Like the, the list absolutely goes on and on. But the good news is, is that you don't have to do all the reading yourself. All you need to do is tune back into the Hook Said podcast because we're going to be covering all of it in upcoming episodes. See how this works? That's a good plug. Keep everybody coming back for more. Thanks for tuning into the Hook Set Podcast. If you like what you heard today and want to hear more, we're on Apple and Spotify as well. Check out our Facebook page, show your support, like, share, subscribe. Feel free to leave comments in the comment section below. And as always, we need to give a shout out to Tascam. Without the awesome equipment, you wouldn't be hearing us right now. See you guys next week.